Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, we are really excited about today's show because we're going to drift back into that topic that is so important for everybody, no matter what you do, which is sales. And we're going to talk about a little bit about why sales is important to entrepreneurs, because especially if you're a solopreneur, and I talk about this a lot in my business, you know, I'm a professional speaker. I make my living based on, you know, being on stage, being the speaker or the master of ceremonies, but really Really, I'm a salesperson first because if I can't sell it, nobody hires me. And if they don't hire me, I don't get on stage. And if I'm not on stage, I don't make money. And I think that's true for all of you, no matter what you do for a living. We have to remember that sales... It's really kind of the oldest profession. We have to be out there selling in order to make commerce work. And sometimes when we get into sort of an entrepreneurial role, we see ourselves as that subject matter expert and we want to go start a business. And yet what happens is, is that uh, if we can't sell it, nobody can buy our product and therefore it doesn't matter how good we are. So today I have with us a sales expert. So Butch Bella is our guest. And what I like is he is the author of Sales Management for dummies and that just came out and he is also the author of the 10 essential habits of sales superstars and i know that all of you who listen your secret dream is to be a sales superstar so hopefully we're going to get into that so he hails from dallas texas another texan we love to have them on the show because as you know i live in austin and you know secretly we think all texans wish they lived in austin but dallas is a great place so we're glad that butch is another texan so butch bella welcome to cool things entrepreneurs do Tom, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit more about your business. You've done more than written books. You have a very successful consulting business. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Butch and what you do on a daily basis? Well, I uh, I, I have a company called My Biz Coach, uh, and we work with uh, small to medium businesses mainly with everything from sales processes to o- overall looking at all processes of the business, uh, from HR to leadership to whatever the case may be, and working with those people to find out where they're stuck and help them get unstuck. Uh, we have a, a vast library of, of uh, content at our website, and then we do a lot of uh, personal coaching and, and training and so forth as well. I started, uh, I have a, a grand total of three weeks of college under my belt. <laughs> hey, that's, that's <laughs> a, how do you go only three weeks? That, that takes an effort not to at <laughs> least make it, it through really the first did. semester. I didn't even finish orientation, you know, and, and I tell everybody that my sophomore week darn near killed me. And so I, uh, it was just, I was that guy that, as you said, I was in the sales. I knew from an early age, that's what I wanted to do. And, and college, you know, I'm, I certainly think that higher education is important. All three of my children have been in or going to college and uh, have degrees and it just wasn't for me. And I got hired into the wholesale distribution business at 21 years old by a gentleman who is my mentor still to this day and saw something in a, in a 21-year-old kid. And at 25, I was a division sales manager. At 30, I was vice president of sales. And at 35, I bought the company with a business partner. And we had grown it from about $35 million in sales to almost a quarter of a billion a year in, in annual sales. And it, it was just a rocket ship ride. And it was just a blast. And I learned so much about 
uh, business, about growing a business, about processes and improving those processes. And that's what I try to bring to working with other people today. Now, it's interesting that you bring up that you only went to college for three weeks. I mean, I made the joke that it takes a lot of effort to only go <laughs> three weeks. Did. But it did. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people one semester, a couple of years, but three weeks, you have to be dedicated to leaving college to get out in three weeks. Well, but let me let me tell on myself. <laughs> I, I uh, When I was in high school, this is the honest truth. I never skipped a day of high school. Now, there were days I did not go, but my parents knew Butch wasn't going to school that day. But when I got to college, I found out, wait a minute, you mean if I'm not there, they don't come looking for me? <laughs> and so I played a lot of golf that three weeks. And by the third week, you know, the guy that I was dragging with me said, look, man, I- I've got to go to class. You got to leave me alone. And so uh, I tell him today that my dropping out, he- he's a CPA today. And I tell him that my dropping out is the reason he's had anything in this life because I would have drug him down with me. So, Or he blames you for the fact that he's a CPA. <laughs> well, this is true. Yeah, he's stuck behind if, a desk if, every day. So. That's right. If you had kept dragging him out, maybe he wouldn't have been a CPA. Right. Right. So, you know, you're a great example, though, that, you know, in today's world, we put such an emphasis on higher education. And and I have a daughter at university. And of course, you know, that education is extravagantly important. However, we have to remember it's not for everybody. And this is where I think we have failed so many of our younger generation is we say, oh, we have to make college affordable for everybody. But the problem is, is that you can be successful without it if you have that internal drive. And you're a good example of this. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, the the last thing people need to go to college for is to learn about business. You need to learn about, um, to, in my mind, you need to learn the technical side of that. But in the open, you talked about sales being the basis and being uh, the oldest profession. My problem with a lot of schools is they don't teach people how to sell themselves uh, and how to sell. And you and I both hear the statistics of 85, 87, whatever the percentage is now of small to medium businesses that fail in this country. And Tom, they, they don't fail because the guy's a bad plumber or that the college didn't teach the, uh, her how to do this or the guy has a bad pizza recipe. They fail because they're horrible at sales and marketing. And they think they can just hang a shingle out and the world's going to be the path to their door. And all their friends on Facebook said, yeah, I'll come by from you. Well, guess what? That's that's a dream world. And it just doesn't work that way. You've got to I don't care what you make. I mean, the iPhone would not be what it is today had they not got out and sold us on the fact that we needed an iPhone. Well, and I do a lot of work with attorneys, and this is something that people think is kind of a weird little niche that I have in in my world. But one of the reasons I work with attorneys is I spent over four years as the director of marketing for two AMLAW 100 firms. And the AMLAW is the list of the 100 largest firms in America. And I worked as the director of marketing for Austin and Dallas for two of those firms. And during that course, what I started to do was to teach the lawyers about sales. Now, especially back then, it's changed a little bit over the last decade, but you couldn't use the word sales around lawyers because that was somehow below them. And so we called it business development. Sure. Reality was I was teaching them how to go out and be a salesperson. And when they, the ones that would buy into the message have 
found success even long after they worked with me. And one of the questions I keep getting from lawyers who I work with is why isn't this mandatory in <laughs> law school? Because most lawyers at some point in their career, either when they're young, in the middle, or when they're nearing retirement, many of them, it's a huge percentage, end up hanging out their own shingle. And a lot of those solo lawyer or small firm shops just bounce along the bottom because they do not have any idea how to market themselves, how to build long-term relationships, and how to sell. And yet there's this whole culture amongst them that it's like, ooh, sales is somehow icky. It's like a, a pushy car sales mini you know, thing, you know, <laughs> right. copier sailing icky in your face, shove a card in. And that's not at all what professional sales is about. Yeah, their, their marketing plan is, well, we got an ad in the phone book. Well, yeah, you're poised to step right into the 1980s then, you know. So. <laughs> That's right. When, so, when somebody tells me that I say, you know, 1990 called, they want their marketing plan back. Exactly. Yeah, no kidding. And I agree with you. And it's, you know, I see it a lot, and I've worked with some financial planners because uh, a lot of the big firms that have these financial planners under their umbrella, they, they, they you know, they teach them the Series 6, 63, Series 7. They go out and get them all licensed and everything and then go go run your business. Well, wait a minute. If you're going to to sell me on handling my money, you better be a pretty darn good salesperson. You, I just finished working with a, a bank and working with commercial lenders. Now, you would think a commercial lender would have a pretty easy job because they're selling money. Well, guess what? There's competition. Oh, really? Yeah, there's competition and everything. And there's always somebody willing to do it cheaper. That you're you're at the mercy of your stupidest competitor too many times, and there's somebody dying to go out of business by giving their products and services away. So you have to become a salesperson and sell the value on what you bring to that client in whether it's a product or a service. And that's what I'm finding so much these days is that uh, people are, are, are face this price game and they just keep cutting price and cutting price and cutting price and cutting price. I got news for you. There is an end to that sometime. So you started off at 21. You were hungry. You were aggressive. I think that the best salespeople, especially when they're that young, they have to have that entrepreneurial spirit. Even if they're working for a big company, they have to have that sort of entrepreneurial piece to it. And you had to have that to be able to go from entry salesperson to sales manager in, in four years, then go on to buy the company. And right. now, you know, uh, you've now gone on to starting your own sort of consulting and training business. What is it inside of you that led you to this life? You know, I don't know. I've always wanted, I've always been the guy that gravitated to the front of the room. Now, I've had people say, you know, well, you're just a born salesman. And as, as Zig Ziglar used to say, I've never opened up the newspaper and seen a uh, notice that Mr. and Mrs. Smith gave birth to a seven pound, eight ounce salesman. <laughs> I think everything we do is a learned skill. That's why when I work with people, I, I tell them, you can learn this. However, I think there's certain personality traits that entrepreneurs have and that I think good salespeople have that same thing. And we kind of run a parallel path of we're growing a business while an entrepreneur is growing their own business. And certain salespeople like to cross that bound into being their own boss. And that's where I got into. I loved the idea of growing something. I love the challenge of taking on a new project and um, uh, of growing a, a division or a company or working with a customer to help them work through their issues and so forth. So I think that I always loved puzzles as a kid. I loved things like that. So I loved the exercise of the brain because I'm one of those people, Tom, that thinks that all problems are solvable. And I go into situations looking for a, a reason it will work, 
not reasons it won't work. And I think there's a lot of mindset in that. And if that's the entrepreneurial blood that runs through our veins, I, I don't know really what that is. I, I think the the desire to solve a problem, whether you're solving it on a short-term basis to get through this week with a, a, a an issue at your company, or you're solving a problem that builds a new product or takes a new service to market and, and solves a problem for a vast customer base, those are the same challenges that we have to undertake. So, Butch, what is it that you love about this entrepreneurial life you've built, both on the sales side and now on the business owner entrepreneur side? You know, that's a great question. And I, and I, I would first, I, the first thing a lot of people would probably would say is freedom. And, and th- there's a certain amount of freedom that goes with that. But I will, I'll be very honest with you. I think the thing I get most out of it is the satisfaction of seeing other people succeed. I've always been one of those people. And I think that's what helped me in my sales management career. I probably always took more more blame and less credit than I deserve because I love to see other people succeed, and I, I, I was taught at an early age that you that you build yourself up not by stepping on other people, you build yourself up by building the people up under you, and then they force you up. You don't have to climb that ladder. If you will build a team below you that pushes you up that ladder, you'll ascend it naturally. And so I think that seeing other people succeed and seeing those aha moments and the light bulb go off. I worked with a client here. It's been a couple of years ago that had a a, a franchise and and they were really struggling in a small business. And, and I went in and they had just they were they were kind of burnt out. And I went in and helped them reinvigorate some marketing plans and some things that they really were they couldn't see the forest for the trees. And and they were going in that business every day and just. Oh man, we got to go to work. And so I, I went in and tried to 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 uh, throw a couple of things in there that helped them spice it up a little bit, make it fun again. And I'm in the in a hotel. I was speaking in in Jackson, Mississippi. I'll never forget. And I was in a hotel late that night, and my cell phone rang, and it was this lady. And this is six months probably later, and she's in tears. And I'm thinking something's wrong. And she was in Las Vegas and had just been named franchisee of the year for this company. And that meant more to me, Tom, than the entire time we worked together of any money that I made or anything that I saw was to hear in her voice that she got outside her comfort zone and saw that she could do some of these things. Well, and you know, earlier you quoted Zig Ziglar. He has that famous quote that says, you can have anything you want in life if you just help other people get what they want in life. And and I think that that is a wonderful thing to remember if you're trying to build anything. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people say that, but when it comes to doing it, I think they they get lost a little bit in the process. But if you really will stick to that, if you'll stick to that mantra and you'll and you will just go out and try to help people, uh, you'll be surprised. I've I've had people that I've worked with that, you know, they they say, well, I'm not a salesman. And then I go watch what they do. You're a natural. And and they said, but that's not selling. I'm just helping people. (laughs) Well, what do you think salespeople do? That's what we do. We help people, you know. Well, and you bring up an interesting point that a lot of people say that that's what they're there to do. But when push comes to shove and the pressure of life and they get busy, and I'm making little air quotes around busy because we live in this world where busy is this faux badge of honor. If I can can just get caught up in showing everybody how busy I am, they're going to think I'm great. But what happens is we get so lost in the minutia of busy that when it comes time for someone else, I talked to somebody recently and they're like, I just don't, people want to, you know, take me to coffee and find out about the business that I'm in. I don't have time for them. 
Right. And yet when they were coming up, there were people who had, you know, time to mentor them as they were doing it. And now they're like, oh, I'm too busy for that. And it's like, no, you, you've got to find ways. Uh, Cavett Robert, the founder of the National Speakers Association, he had a famous quote that said, you know, don't worry so much about getting your slice of the pie. Let's focus on making the pie bigger so that everyone gets a slice. Right. That's great. And, and, and here's the other thing, too, is that every successful person I have ever known has wanted to help other people be successful. You, you, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a selfish, successful person. I think I've seen a couple, but I think that for the most part, you're right. I think that they are the exception to the rule, and I think the people who are truly sort of that selfish, they are the ones who are always wondering, even when they hit levels of success, they're wondering why you know other parts of their life are all screwed up or the, right. the success, or the success leads them. in the process or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can think of people all the time who they're always complaining about something, but then when it comes to, hey, can you do me a favor? No, I don't have time for you. Well, no wonder you're complaining about this other stuff because the universe is not coming back around to help you if you're putting out the message of screw everybody else. You, you know, you talked about speaking and, and not eating if you're not on stage, and I get to do a lot of speaking in what I do. And and I tell everybody and when I speak, when they tell me they don't have time, and I'll use your air quotes, here's the great paradox with time, and I, I use this a lot when I speak. You have more than you think and less than you believe. Now, I know some of your listeners will probably have to rewind that and say, what the heck did he just say? <laughs> when it comes to time, you have more than you think, but less than you believe. We have more time than we think on a daily basis. We waste a lot of time with social media, Facebook, fantasy football, Pinterest, whatever it may be. There's a lot of time wasted. So you do have time, but you have less than you believe because we think we're going to live forever. And unfortunately, that's not true. If I got hit by a truck on the way home today, I hope I've done most of what God has asked me to do in this lifetime. And I think you have to live every day like that is have you done what you've been asked to do? And if you will look at that, you, you will see that you do sometimes say, well, I don't have time because I'm busy. Well, it is just busy work. You're not really that busy. Well, and, and we talked about this before we went live on the air, and I think it's all right that I bring it up. You know, at 43 years old, you had triple bypass surgery. So you right. obviously have, have looked that in the face a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. I stared at it. And <laughs> I, I tell everybody that, you know, it was uh, – I set the record in my family by six months. My dad was 44 when he had his first, and I had uh, mine at 43. Now, I got lucky. I, I didn't have a heart attack. I caught it before it caught me. But I used that really as a springboard in my life. I ran my first 5K, 190. 90 days after heart surgery and went on to run, I don't know how many 5Ks, several 10Ks and two half marathons. Wow. And if before that heart surgery, you'd have seen me running, something was on fire behind me. <laughs> uh, but it was just, it was an opportunity for me to change my life. And, and, I, and I, I took it as, I honestly saw that as a positive. And I know people say, how does heart, how is heart surgery a positive? I'll never forget the day, and I don't want to get too far off in the weeds time, that I was on the treadmill at cardiac rehab. And it hit me that it, there was a sales lesson in this because we we teach salespeople all the time to do needs analysis, do a needs analysis, find out what their needs are. Well, you know what? People don't buy what they need. They buy what they want. Now, I needed that heart surgery a year, six months, however long beforehand, but I didn't get it until I wanted it. So if you would have asked me on May 18th, Butch, how would you like triple bypass heart surgery? We got it on sale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would have said, oh, I hooray, can I have I, two? I can't afford that. You know, get out of here. But then they showed me, okay, buddy, you got a 70, 80s, and a 90% blockage. Hey, I'm all in. Sign me up. But the only thing, my, my finances didn't get better and my heart didn't get worse. The only thing that changed was the information available to me. 
And so what I try to convince people all the time is if you will turn a need into a want, people find the money, then they want the expert handling it. And your your listeners in their own business or with their clients, there's blockage just like I had in my heart. And as as the entrepreneur, as the, the business person, it is our job to go out and find the blockage and then show people how we can correct it. And they will gladly pay our asking price. I did not try to negotiate on heart surgery. (laughs) But here's the other thing I'll tell you is that we can never stop learning because my surgeon was 62 years old the day he did my surgery. And when I speak, I always ask, I said, do you think I wished he would have quit learning the day he got out of college? (laughs) You know, I I wanted him Googling stuff on the way home that evening. If there's a breakthrough in heart surgery that evening, I'll test it on Butch the next morning. And so I think we always have to be improving our skill sets. Well, and taking that back to my own career, I do a lot as serving at conferences as a master of ceremonies. And what I've found is that, you know, a lot of them, they need that because what a lot of organizations, both companies who do conferences and associations who have annual meetings, a lot of them end up trying to take the cheap answer in the fact that, well, we need a master of ceremonies, but we'll get our director of sales because he has a good personality or the head of marketing is very gregarious. But the problem with that is, is that those people have another role at that conference. They have to go and serve that. So they can't constantly be thinking about how am I setting the tone for the whole event? Plus, even though they have a great personality, they may not have that skill. So once I show people kind of what I can do and they want it, that's when they hire me. They all need to have a master of ceremony. And it's probably a good idea to have a professional master of ceremonies. However, until they want it, they're not going to do it. And it's amazing. You're exactly right. It's amazing when people tell me, well, we've never paid for an MC. We've always used a member of our association. And we talk about how has that worked out? Well, about every three or four years, you know, one of our board members is good at it. So, right. so the other three years, maybe not so much. And they need it, but they've never spent money on it. And the second they start seeing why it can do it and they want it, it's amazing how they find an extra sponsor. Or, you know, one, one speaker told me recently that she was up for a deal and she's a very expensive, high dollar speaker. I think she gets $25,000 for, you know, a keynote and in and out type speaker. And they wanted her, but their budget was $10,000. And in the course of talking about the event, she said the meeting planner was so proud of the fact that on the break for 2,000 people, they were going to have chocolate fountains around the break so that people could like have chocolate fountains and dip marshmallows right. in chocolate. And it was going to cost $30,000. Right. And once, you know, they came around to the fact they really wanted her and what would the people really remember? Would they remember dipping a strawberry or would they remember a memorable keynote? They canceled the chocolate fountains and put the money towards hiring her. And, exactly. you know, so it had to be that they had to want her more than they wanted the novelty of chocolate. You know, that brings up a great point for for all entrepreneurs and all business people is sometimes we take off down a path of thinking we know what our customer wants. If we'll ask them, guess what they'll tell us? That's a valid point. I've seen so many people go do something, create a new product or, or change something in their business because they think that's what their customers want, only to find out, you know what, it really doesn't matter to us. And they've wasted time and money. Just ask your customers, what, what are we doing that bugs you? What would you like to see more of, less of? You know, there may be things that you're doing, you're spending money on that means nothing to your customers and you're fretting over it every single week. So Butch, I've got a couple more questions go ahead. for you. Yeah. yeah, but before I go on, I've got to do something really important. And that is, I've got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, 
training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work to, so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Butch Bella. Hey, if you want to start a podcast and you've been thinking about this, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for our listeners. So Butch, what advice do you have for somebody who's been listening who thinks, I want I want to go out and, and either be more entrepreneurial in my company, or I want to go do my own thing. Um, you know, the greatest advice I ever got when it came to, to business life was have a short memory. Um, when, when, when the day or the week is over, wrap it up, move on. Quit. You cannot change the past. You can affect the future. You can learn from the past, but don't spend all your time woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, learn from your mistakes uh, you're going to have them, but have a short memory, forget them and move on. Don't keep beating yourself up over, man, in 2003, we should have done that. Well, guess what? Yeah, you should have, but you're, what is happening is you're damaging your 2016 by worrying about it now. That kind of dovetails with the best advice I ever got from my dad. And my advice from my dad was be slow to anger and fast to forgive. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it, it is so – and our, our dads were probably in the same generation. My dad used to – and I can remember this as a, as a high school kid. You know, you'd you know, get worried about, you know, whether it was girls or school or your, your car or whatever. And my dad would all – he had the greatest say in rest of So he'd say, uh, son, if it helped to worry, I'd sit down there and worry with you. <laughs> you know? And I thought, how great is that? You know, because my kids hear me say it now. You know, they say, well, I'm just worried about this. Well, if it helped to worry, I'd sit down there and worry with you. You know, well, it's it's so funny because, you know, my kids all the time, I say stuff and I just hear my father coming out of my oh, mouth I know. when I was yeah. teaching my my 19 year old to drive a car. You know, little things like sitting in the left turn lane, keep the wheels straight, because if you turn them and someone rear ends you, it'll throw exactly. you into traffic. I'm like, my God, I'm saying the exact same things my father said to me 30 years earlier. Well, and it's as as I've gotten older, I've lost my hair, and I'm, everybody says, "Boy, you're looking more and more like Don Bella every day. You're looking just like your dad." And I told somebody the other day, "You know, I didn't realize how handsome that man was until I got older." So. <laughs> well, it's funny you said our dads are from the same generation, but you and I are almost the exact same age. I think we're within eight months of each other. Right. And you mentioned how old your dad was when when uh, when you were born. My dad would be nineteen or twenty years older than your oh, dad. Wow, so yeah. my, my dad, if he was still alive, he'd be 101 years old wow. right now. So he was 52 when I was born. So I'm not, I'm not 50 yet, but I'm not even, I'm still two and a half years away from the age my dad was when I was born. And, yeah, and that gives I, me I an interesting imagine. perspective. Yeah, could you imagine having a new baby right now there, Butch? No, yeah. If I did, there'd be a lawsuit somewhere, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife told me, you know, it ain't going to be with me. So Yeah, no kidding. So, uh, so that uh, another question for you is how important to the entrepreneur is networking? Oh, uh, I, it's essential. It's vital. It's you know, uh, and what you mentioned in the in the open, my book, the ten essential habits of sales superstars. Habit number one is to make ten new contacts a week. And uh, people always say, "Oh man, that's a lot." No, it's not a lot. It's two people a day. Now, I didn't say go out and find prospects. The problem we have is is people go out looking for a prospect. Well, I've been doing this for 30-something years, and I can tell you I have no idea what a prospect looks like. I know what a contact looks like, and that's the human being that's standing behind you that you're ignoring at Starbucks or at the grocery store or at the gas pump or whatever. And I just tell people, just introduce yourself to 10 people a week, and at the end of the year, you've met 500 people. 
That's right. Now, the, the great part about that is that some of them will be prospects, but more of them will know prospects. And I'm not talking about, you know, working on this elaborate elevator speech. I just tell people, you know, I'm Butch Bella with mybizcoach.biz, and I work with salespeople and organizations to gain more appointments, win more business, and retain more customers. What do you do? And that's it. And they think, oh, well, that's, yeah, but you're just, no, I I tell people all the time, if you can rattle off your phone number or your social security number or your address, you can do that from your subconscious mind. If you will focus on what you do for your clients and just have an introduction that says, I'm Butch Bell and this is what I do, or I'm Tom Singer and this is what I do, but make it about what you do for them and then turn around and say, well, what do you do? That All you're doing is starting a conversation. And People say, well, where am I going to meet these people at? <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, I hope it's doesn't offend anybody. I tell them, use the PEG theory, P-E-G. Change the places where you pee, eat, and get gas. Because we are all creatures of habit. My audience does not get offended when you okay. say where you get gas. <laughs> <laughs> or where you eat. Here's the thing. We go the same route to and from every day. And guess what? Change it up. There's a whole world out there. The people where you already stop, they already know you. Go meet some new people. It's not that hard. So I, I think networking is, is it, it to me, it's the base of, of what everything's built on. And, and you are so right that it's really just about meeting people. And not every, you just have to understand that not everybody you meet are you going to have that love connection with. But that's okay. Because if you meet 500 people and five of them end up being valuable, that could change your entire career and life. Well, exactly. And, you know, the other thing is, well, I tried and, you know, people were kind of rude to me. Well, hey, did the first girl you ever asked out, is that the one you married? You know, but you didn't quit asking. Well, in, you your, know, so, in your case, that might be yes, because you yeah, got married yeah, at 19. I got married at 19 to my high school sweetheart. I did date some other girls before that, though. So I, I got, you know, I held on to the one that said yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Butch, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Right. So what's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? We have just started. We will start uh, later this month uh, kicking them off uh, what we're calling Sales Superstar Destination Forward. And it's a mastermind group. I'm in two mastermind groups myself. And they are literally the highlight of my week. I would I would probably miss uh, uh, a dentist appointment or doctor's appointment or, or you know I, I'd miss a lot of important things before I'd miss my my masterminds. And we're starting some online mastermind groups for salespeople and business people where they can be with like minded people. And it is going to be a, an area where we support each other. Uh, we love on each other. We we create an, an environment where they can feel um, safe and secure, but also where they feel like, because here's the problem. Generally, an entrepreneur gets very, very lonely because they are either out there by themselves or they feel like they're out there by themselves. The other problem they have is they feel like they really can't let that curtain down and let everybody see they don't really know what the heck they're doing. And every one of them has had the same thought. And they think, well, I'm the only person going through this. I cannot let people know that I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. When you, you mentioned the, the book Sales Management for Dummies. When I, everybody thinks when you get to be sales manager that you've got it all figured out. Well, that, that was when my biggest learning curve took place. And what we're doing with the mastermind groups is we're creating an environment where we go, okay, guess what, everybody? We know everybody doesn't know what, what to do. That's why we're here. We're going to learn from each other. And I, I'm really excited about that. 
That's that's awesome. And anybody who listens to this show regularly knows I am a big fan. I have a couple of mastermind groups with other speakers that I'm involved with. My my main one is there's four of us from around the country, and we get together and rent a house for three days every six months. Right. And, and we just go in and, and let that curtain down and, and share our books and share our marketing plans and tear each other's websites apart. And, and it's been one of the best things I've ever done for my career. And then much like you're launching one, here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, we've been in the process of trying to get launched, and it's now launching the Cool Things Project, which is an online, same type of thing, support group for right. entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and people with that entrepreneurial spirit to do exactly that. So if you're a you know sales-oriented person, check out Butch's Mastermind Group if mine's not the right fit for you, because that's the trick is you've got to find that right group of people for you. Right. You know, there's no and, magic bullet as to which group is, is the right group. You've got to find the people who are right for you. But, but, you know, whatever you do, find a group. Because here, the great Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around. And I'm just wanting to create groups, as, as you are, Tom, where people are – I want you to be in a group that makes your head better, not bigger. We're not going to sit there and blow smoke at you and tell you how great you are. You know, but we're also not going to beat you up either. We're going to try to be honest with you because I think as business people, certainly as salespeople, there's times where we say, you know, I just I just need somebody to give me real feedback instead of just pat me on the back all the time, tell me how good I am or how bad I am or whatever. And and, and that's what we're trying to create. So, Butch, we could talk about Butch Bella and all the great <laughs> things that you're doing. We could talk for two hours. I mean, shoot, we're already 30 minutes into this. We could just keep going. But I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask my guests, who is it that you observe out there outside of your company who you think, wow, they are just crushing it as an entrepreneur? Uh, I, one of my mentors that I'm, I'm in his mastermind group, Aaron Walker with view from the top. I don't know if you've had Aaron on the show, uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee, and, uh, is probably one of the most genuine, uh, finest men I have ever met in my life. I, I've gotten to meet him in person and his iron sharpens iron mastermind group is the, uh, highlight of, of my week. And, it is uh, – I can only hope that we create an environment similar to, to what he has. And, and I just – I love the guy. He is, he is truly in it for the right reasons. He has the heart of a giver. Oh, that is awesome. And so the other thing I love to ask everybody because in addition to being great observers, I think entrepreneurs want to do more than just make money. I think they want to make a mark. They want to leave something good behind. So what is it that you do to serve the greater good? Uh, well, a couple of things. I have uh, – uh, when I first got to Dallas, I, um, I volunteered a couple of days. There's a place called The Bridge downtown that's a, uh, a shelter that feeds between 1,800 and 2,000 homeless people a day. And I have a speech that I give, and it's called Don't Worry About Changing the World, Change Your World. And Mother Teresa has a saying that says, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. And I try to see opportunities to create ripples. So I went to the bridge, and, and, and I served lunch one day, or actually two days. And uh, it, it was um, it had such a, an impact on me, Tom, because, you know, you saw the, the stereotypical homeless person that you thought you'd see. But, man, I saw people that looked like me, that looked like you, that looked like our neighbors, that were just people that needed a hand up instead of a hand out. And so it inspired me to find ways that I could give back. I'm part of a, an organization called, called the Pay It Forward Network where we uh, do a lot of things to grant wishes to not terminally ill children but handicapped children. Um, I'm on the board of an organization called David's Gift, which uh, uh, 
basically they pay for funeral expenses for people that have lost an infant or a small child because no parent should be worried about money at, at a time like that. And unfortunately, those funerals are just as expensive as, as any other. And then one that's near and dear to my heart, I have a friend of mine that has uh, his father was a, a veteran and and he literally retired uh, from a medical practice to start what he calls Woody's Home for Veterans in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he's got two homes that he has, and he takes veterans that uh, would probably otherwise be homeless, has a place for them to stay. They have to be self-sufficient. They, they work around the house. Uh, and so we're, we're always doing thing for, things for Woody's this We found out two weeks ago, a buddy of mine found out that they were watching an old picture tube TV for the football playoffs. And so he just put it on Facebook and in like an hour and a half, we'd raised enough money. We had two 55 inch TVs for the flat screens for the two houses and had them installed for the guys over there. And it's just, those are the sort of things that, that I enjoy that I don't tell a lot of people about, but I think as an entrepreneur, as a salesperson, as your career grows and as your business grows, the more you find time to devote to things like that, I promise you the stress level is going to go down immensely because you see how grateful you should be for what you've got. Well, and I can tell after spending 30 minutes talking to you, I'm not surprised that you're involved with so many great things and that you are doing things to to make that mark. And my advice to entrepreneurs, especially young ones, people who are hungry and just out of school or or maybe three weeks into college who drop out and start their own way, uh, my message all along is – Hey, find your way early to give back. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to wait until I'm rich and successful, and then right. I'm going to do that. The problem is, is that you're building those muscles early. And just find a way to, to tie your success, a little piece of your income or a little piece of your time, to make sure you're always doing that. And then over a lifetime, it adds up to amazing stuff. And, and I've coined the phrase, compounded generosity. Because oh, much like compounded interest, where we teach the young early, start saving for retirement when you're in your 20s and you'll retire with all this money because of the magic of, of compounded interest. Although I don't know if it works with interest rates being less than a point. But, you know, historically, right. the theory was that uh, when the stock market actually went up, this whole idea of compounded interest and compounded growth really made a difference. I think the same thing is true with those the, that piece of us that gives. If we start early and just do little things over a lifetime, it adds up to amazing contributions. And here's the thing I found, and going back to the creating ripples, is that when I speak, I, well, one of the examples I use, not, and again, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but uh, if I were to ask your listeners how many recognize the name Bill Wilson, some of them would, would recognize that. But Will, Bill Wilson was, was a drunk, and he was a, a bad one or, or, or a good one, depending on how you rate your drunks. <laughs> but in 1934, he decided to get sober. And he found the easiest way for him to stay sober was to help other people get sober. So in 1935, Bill Wilson and a friend of his formed a little organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, some 80 years later, long after he has left this world, that organization helps 2 million people a year find sobriety. Now, he did not set out to change the world. He just set out to change his world. But the ripple he created is carrying on long after he's gone. And if, you're, if your listeners will just try to create a ripple, don't go chasing after it to see what happened. Just start that ripple. Let it go. I don't think we're supposed to necessarily know how all of it turns out. I think we're just supposed to create it because what happens is you'll inspire somebody else to do something. And they'll inspire somebody else. 
And if you'll focus on changing your world, eventually enough people can change the world. Awesome. Hey, Butch, if somebody's listening to the show and they're like, I got to know more about Butch Bella. Where do I, where do I find this guy? How do I yeah, find? I don't know that they would at this point. But. <laughs> how do I find, you know, sales manager for dummies or, 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 or how do I find out about his coaching and his training sure. or his mastermind group? Where do people go to find Butch Bella? It is mybizcoach.biz, www.mybizcoach.biz. And as a special for your listeners, if they'll go to mybizcoach.biz backslash or forward slash cool things, they can get a free copy of the 10 Essential Habits of Sales Superstars as my gift to them. Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm active on Twitter at mybizcoachbutch. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Butch Bella, and it's B-E-L-L-A-H. Um, uh, my Biz Coach has a Facebook page, as most people do. But, yeah, I would, or they could email me at butch at mybizcoach.biz. I'd love to hear from them. Fantastic. So reach out to Butch Bella and find out more about My Biz Coach. Hey, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was a fantastic interview, and I think that all the listeners are probably just thrilled that we had you and that we connected with you and, and had you join the Cool Things community today. Tom, and, thank you so much. for And thank you for what you're doing. And you're, you're doing the heavy lifting here. I get the easy part of just coming on and, and being a guest. But, uh, you know, thank you for what you do for the entrepreneurs and the business people out there. Ah, we're having a great time, and we're, and we're, we're having fun doing it, and that's, that's part of the battle. So for those of you who listened, as always, thank you for tuning into the show. We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Butch. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.